0: Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
1: We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. I want you to get mad. I want you to get up right now, and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm, mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore.
2: I'm
3: not
4: going to take it anymore! Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Why so angry, friends? Try a little green tea,
2: a little valerian root. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen, and all the ships at sea and my uh, my friends uh, on our little... uh, Burgeoning network down in Asheville, North Carolina, Birmingham, Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama, Atlanta—all our good friends along the Hudson Valley, New York, and uh, to everyone listening online around the world at uh, Zoomeradio.com, Zoomeradio.ca. My apologies, Zoomeradio.ca, ca for Canada. Let's hear it. Uh, yeah, I mentioned the anger. I'm I'm um, in day four of a little detox program that I'm doing. And partially inspired by uh, my guest, who's going to join me here in just a moment, who uh, will uh, be uh, joining us from the great Windy City, Chicago. Uh, and uh, so I'm sipping my green tea, day four without coffee. Now, I mean, a lot of people have uh, you know the Coffee Jones, and it's all relative, I suppose, but I don't know where I am on the uh, on the on the scale, the sliding scale of coffee addicts, but I'm about a five mug a day guy. I'm not talking cups. I'm talking mugs. So that would probably be about 10 cups. That's not good. And uh, so uh, the last three, four days, doing a complete detox, uh, the mighty Aphrodite and I, we've been doing these shakes for uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, containing all these superfoods. Uh, kale. Now, I, I would wheel the, the cart past, the, you know, in the produce section, and I, I have a vague recollection of seeing kale, uh, but I've never, it's, it's a huge, <laughs> a leafy uh, vegetable. Uh, but I have never partaken of kale. And now I'm, uh, I'm putting it in my shake. And I'm, I tell you, after three days, I feel like I don't want to go back. I'm not, I don't want to go back to coffee. I don't want to go back to the red meat and all that stuff. You know, one of these days, I'm sure uh, I'm going to stumble. But uh, right now, I tell you, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying the way I'm feeling and uh, my mood is, uh, I, t- I can get a little grouchy at times. Uh, you know, parents out there, you know what it's like. You're overtired, You're uh, maybe you're not eating right, and the kids are are uh, uh, aggravating you a little bit. And uh, I can be, sometimes my kids will turn to me and say, you're a big old lump. <laughs> and, I, and now I see, that you're right, I am a big old lump. No more of that. Anyway, wherever you are, I hope you're feeling well. And... Uh, Hope you're dry and warm and uh, comfy, so settle in for the next hour, because uh, we're going to talk about uh, how to get your body right, and uh, it has to do with what you put into your into your body, the foods that we eat, and we're going to talk over the next hour about the cure for what ails you, being found in the forest, of all places. Let's face it, the forest, it's, it's the world's largest medicine cabinet, and... Um, here to tell us about what he's found stomping around in the woods and i've recently seen some videos of of uh Cass who's going to join us here in a second stomping around in the in the woods with a machete in the boreal forests in places like northern manitoba and uh, looking for for uh for herbs and and plants and and uh, you know mixing them together i don't know making poultices and herb herbal teas and and uh and what these ingredients can do for you is absolutely remarkable. So let's bring him in. He's a nutritional physician. He received a his B.S. in biology and chemistry from the University of Northern Iowa and a D.O. from the University of Osteopathic Medicine and Health Sciences. He has written 24 books, although uh, that's constantly, uh, uh, you know, there's always a, a book in progress. I think he's probably uh, written more than that by now. He's like Stephen King. He's the Stephen King of herbalists. <laughs> uh, he's given uh, answers and hopes uh, to millions through his lectures on thousands of radio and TV shows. He's uh, researched in writing. His research and writing have led to countless cures and discoveries. Dr. Cass Ingram is with us, and uh, it's always a delight. Uh, his books include The Cures in the Cupboard, um, the longevity solution who needs headaches and tonight we're going to talk about the cure is in the forest dr cass ingram how are you my friend
1: Oh, good evening i'm doing great how are you
2: wonderful how are things in chicago
1: well got settled back down from a canadian tour you know i mean i had a good time up there with all my friends and uh... associates helping people find out what uh, they can take for what ails them hmm. And a lot of it came right straight out of the boreal forest of Canada and the mountains of the Mediterranean and, the, you know, the, the tropics of the Amazon. I tell you, it's, it's it's a hoot.
2: Well, I'm just, in my own little way, as I was saying off the top over the last four days, you know, it's it's one thing to talk about, and we all hear this, you know, you are what you eat and, uh, you know, you got to be careful what you put in your body. But I didn't realize, you know, where I was until, you know, this last four days and, and uh, this detoxification process, and, and I'm, I'm realizing this, this is my new baseline, but how low I was. I mean...
1: Well, it, there's, there's lots of person out there, as they say. Yeah. Uh, so, you can do it in 5,000 different ways. You know, the addictions, the, 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 the sugary foods, the chocolate too much, the coffee too much, even the black tea too much for some people. Uh, you know, it's, uh, and, and and we have the issue of GMOs to be concerned about, but, and then people on prescription medication, and, yeah, I mean, I see it every day, and I mean, you know what, the other big thing is, we're not made to do what we do with the phones, and the Wi-Fi, and the, you know, the bisphenols, and the fluoride, and the chlorine, and the pesticide residues, we're not structured for that, and and, and we're not structured to, to eat all this carbohydrate. So, and the sugar. I, I mean, the big epidemic I saw is, like you said, the, 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 the toxicity, the bad habits, the nutritional deficiencies. But the real big one I found was a lot of fungal infections, a lot of, a lot of parasitic infections. And, and, you know, just burdening people down with, with that.
2: Well, I've I've uh, been laboring under. Uh, I get a, a, a what I thought originally was a kind of a chest cold. It would settle in my upper respiratory system for months and months and months. And uh, you know, I'm beginning to suspect that was just because it's been alleviated with this detox I've been on. It's a yep. it's it must be some sort of a fungal thing. It's not a yes, cold at all.
1: Yes, yes. Don't forget that the Ontario Huron uh, Lake River base or, or Lake Basin. Is, is Fungus City Central. Fungus and, City
2: Central. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah put you know, that on a license plate. <laughs>
1: we should. The, I mean, the native Aboriginal knew that there was a summer flu, a summer pneumonia that they could rely on when the winds picked up uh, because of these histoplasmosis spores, you know, these f- uh, fungal spores, the black and the green and the rust mold. So you would expect uh, the people of Toronto to have... Well, they wouldn't have any idea, though, that their bronchitis, their sinusitis, their sinus pressure, the sinus headaches, uh, the pneumonia, the you know the summer and fall pneumonias and, and and bronchitis. They don't know it's fungal usually, but it is 100 percent.
2: So it's not just it's not viral; it's fungal.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that's what you had in their hunker down in there. And, Of course, now with your changing your habits, your immune system is responding nicely. But we should. I mean, we could ratchet that thing right through the, you know, to the moon by a little bit of herbal medicine.
2: Well, let's get into that, Cass. Let's talk about some herbal medicine, and we're going to make the phone lines available to, to people tonight as well. And uh, when we come out of commercial breaks, uh, we'll roll those numbers for the for you listening. If you want to uh, participate, and we encourage you to do so. Dr. Cass Ingram is with us. We're talking about the cure is in the forest. And uh, I, w- I was uh, telling the folks, uh, you know, watching you. Um, in high definition, uh, stomping through the woods with your machete there up in uh, northern Manitoba. And what were you looking for? Uh, chaga. This, this uh, You were looking for something that was growing on birch bark. Tell me about yes. this.
1: Yes, I was looking for the wild chaga. It was a bit hard to come by up that way. And also some birch bark, you know, to harvest uh, ecologically, as well as perhaps some, uh, some tamarack bark. But those were the main things I was hunting. Uh, the chaga is fascinating. I was introduced to this about eight years ago by our aboriginal brothers up there. And they said, Doc, you got to know about it. I said, well, what's a chaga? And then they dig this gunny sack out and they show me. I said, where did you get it from? Well, we, we took it off the birch tree. He said, what? I've never seen such a thing and uh, we had a fun conversation then he says it cures cancer i thought oh my god how
2: whoa we have to be careful about cure. that one yeah, yeah exactly. got to be yeah
1: so i just I, I i bought the whole bag from him but i didn't do anything with it cuz i thought i'd be arrested you know for <laughs> so what i did was i i, I got burnt out honestly i mean, not when i was on the video you see me after drinking a cup of chug i'm full of fire there but But I got burnt out about, oh, five, six years ago, writing all those books and TV and this and that. And so I was getting up at like 11 o'clock and getting to work at noon, didn't want to get in front of a computer, wasn't doing much editing, found it difficult to write. And I thought, you know, I'm going to try this chaga. So I was a big fan of birch bark tea. And I simply ground up my old birch bark uh, with the chaga, and I made a birch bark chaga tea. I put a little maca in it.
2: Maca. And, now, what is that, maca?
1: Well, that's that purple root down there in, in uh, Peru. And knowing that birch bark's a little bitter and chaga itself's a bit bitter, I put this little bit of maca with it. I made it quite a brew. I loved it. I had a couple cups. I thought nothing of it. But then, you know, I was getting up at eleven o'clock right every day. I wake up at four in the morning, full of fire. Not, not the caffeine kind, I just looked, you know, full of energy and strength, more strength, looking for something to do, I felt great. So I'm going like, okay, so I'll clean my closet, it's been that way for five years, and I started to do some writing. This is great, I've tried a lot of stuff, but nothing popped me up at four in the morning. And, uh, and so I noticed that if I took the chaga, like at supper, I'd wake up a bit earlier and be refreshed. Not a bad feeling. And I my my mental skills went up, I don't know, maybe threefold, 300% uh, more vigor in terms of writing and editing and all that. And my radio schedule was not a big deal anymore. Now, here's the deal. I this has gotta be a big medicine. You know, if the Aboriginal brothers find it important to share with me, it's gonna be big medicine. So I, I made a poultice or an extract of it. It's actually on the market. Both of these things are on the market. now. But this, this is called Chaga Power Drops. Uh, anyway, I made this stuff, and I, I plastered it on my psoriasis.
2: Well, Cass, just hold on there a second. We'll, uh, we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Chaga. I'm, I'm curious to know. I mean, I, I saw, again, you, you uh, sort of harvesting this from this birch uh, bark up in uh, the Boreal Forest, but I had no idea. Like, I don't know, it, what is it? Is it a fungus? It is, a, is it a mushroom? We'll find out. Uh,
1: Straight stamina. Uh, so, all right. But other things, I'll tell you what, what we found.
2: Well, Cass, you sound like you've had like a whole pot of chaga tonight. You are charged and on fire and ready to go, and we'll get into this. We'll open up the lines as well. If people have deficiencies or, or allergies or any of these things, we'll find out, is there a cure in the forest? Back with more
4: here on The Conspiracy Show. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. You're
0: listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
4: When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Hey, welcome back. Yeah, I,
2: I knew that you could make a nice uh, canoe out of birch bark, but uh, treat psoriasis? Who would have thunk? But uh, Dr. Kass is with us, nutritional uh, physician, and it's all about the natural cures. Uh, he's uh, written, what, two dozen books anyway, and you, you, you go through the list, it's all got, you know, they're all natural cures in the title. Natural cures for high blood pressure, natural cures for health disasters, natural cur- cures for killer germs, for better health. uh, uh, uh you know, the cure is in the cupboard, the supermarket solution. Uh, on and on it goes. Dr. Cass Ingram. So tell me, this, this chaga that is found in the boreal forest on, on birch bark. Now, what is, what is it? Is it, a, is it a fungus? Is it a mushroom? What is
1: it? Nobody even knows what it is. Uh, it's like a concretion or a secretion that the birch tree produces if it's injured or if it's sick, and it actually heals the, the tree. But we can put it somehow in the fungus family, but it's not really a fungus because, look, it's hard as a rock. You'd have to, like, you have you can't pull it off with your hands. You no, have to, you, you know, had like machete. a machete. Yeah, I yeah, saw you. Or a, yeah, machete, a saw, and so so it's it's in that family somewhere, but they found. They found that if they had a sick cherry tree that had a fungus or something, if they injected chaga, they found this out in Finland, that it would cure the t- the tree. So it's it's almost like nature's Band-Aid. I mean, all these years you and I have been talking, I never even knew it existed. No, no. Uh, and then and about it's, like, yeah.
2: You had to, I mean, it took you a while. I saw you, you know, stomping through the woods, wading through swamps. Uh, you know, braving the the uh, legendary mosquitoes that are the size of a Lancaster bomber in in uh, in Manitoba and your poor yeah. camera crew. And it took you a while to find some of it. So it, it's not that, going on everywhere.
1: No, no. And uh, so But I was shocked when I saw that. How can something give you physical strength and stamina, get you eliminate your apathy, help you get more out of the day, help you do your chores that I never was able to do them? Uh, that well without the chaga, and then and then it's wiping out the psoriasis. It it literally ate the miserable psoriasis off my elbows, uh, mm. and uh, so I mean I knew that there, and this was about I guess about six years ago that we had to, I had to do something, and and I was so excited I started collating all the science and started using it on people and patients, and that led to the cures in the forest which also talks a lot about the birch bark itself. I've always been a fan of birch bark tea. Now, you mentioned the canoe.
0: Mm-hmm. Think
1: about it. Think about chaga, and think about the fact that it's from the birch tree, but think about the bark. If you go into the forest, the whole center of that birch tree will rot out, but the bark will be there like a mini canoe. That's and the true. Canoe, you know, they found baskets and, and things that are from 150 years ago, and they're still, like, okay. So the birch bark itself is a preservative.
2: Interesting. Interesting.
1: Uh, and, and, and chaga basically digests it and turns it into a medicine. So, so that's uh, – and I, I, I found so many cool uh, you know, functions for chaga. Case history, we, first of all, think about a birch tree with its membranes, all those membranes, round and round. It's a membrane substance. So I had a guy who had a ruptured... I mean, I'm not trying to make a claim on the radio. I'm just going to tell you what I know. This guy had a ruptured intervertebral disc. He calls me up. You know how it is. For every illness, we've talked about this before. There is something in nature, even in the boreal forest, we could find something.
2: Right. I mean, even the pharmaceuticals know that. I mean, that's because that's where they get a lot of their drugs, right? It's from the the forest. They do. They're
1: trying to synthesize the active ingredient of birch bark. They they even synthesize chaga, but it's like one one thousandth as powerful as the real wild stuff. But anyway, so so uh, this uh, you know this 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 birch bark. Uh, uh, extract along with an extract of chaga. I gave the guy both. Uh, one's called Betchu Power Drops and the other one's called Chago Power Drops. Anyway, I gave him their, their drops. I gave him both for his ruptured intervertebral disc on the reasoning that th- it's a membrane healer. Lo and behold, he comes back to me 95% uh, healing of a surgical problem.
0: Hmm.
1: I mean, the, he, he, it's, he doesn't have the pain.
2: And have there been clinical studies on on Chaga?
1: There's a fair amount of clinical studies in Russia, you know, where because Chaga is famous there from Siberia. That's where the original uh, Chaga uh, was, was was discovered. But uh, more, I would say, animal studies, uh, test tube studies, some human. All of it's summarized in the book.
2: The, the uh, cure yeah. is in the forest. Let's let's grab some uh, phone calls, and uh, we'll begin with Mary, who's in Dayton, Ohio. Mary, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you?
3: Uh, good evening or good morning. Um, I have chronic deep vein thrombophlebitis. Yes. Is there something in nature that would help me?
1: Yes. I just saw a case of this that the doctor diagnosed as a bad knee when, in fact, it was deep pain thrombophlebitis and superficial thrombophlebitis. I simp- now, this is the mountain cure I want you to know about, and we'll get into Chaga, too. The mountain cure comes from the Mediterranean. It's the wild oil of oregano. You have it there, the P73 oil of oregano in the health stores. And you have that big health food store right there in Dayton. And you scrub that. You scrub that on your shins, you, you rub it into the calf, you rub it on the top of the thigh, and you keep rubbing it. I've treated people with, came off with a deep vein thrombosis off an airplane with this. And then the second thing is the chaga itself, especially the chaga black tea, which has fantastic material in there for deep vein thrombosis, chaga black tea or, and or the chaga drops, you see. Uh, then here's another big cannon for you that I used with uh, you, there was an Aboriginal guy who they said you ruptured your 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 achilles tendon they they did misdiagnosed his deep vein thrombitis they put him in a cast well that his leg pulled up like a balloon
2: no oh, dear you no
1: know, he's gonna check out with a stroke I all I did was I, I did the, shock, the super shock. I gave him the red sour grape, which is known as res vital in the health food store, about nine capsules a day. And I gave him something very important for you, inflamm Ease. capsules with the roto-rooter bromelain and papain. And you take three capsules of that three times a day on an empty stomach, and it eats the thing right out. It just does.
2: And these are the. the this is food, right? I mean, we're talking about uh, extracts from natural things that would be classified as foods. They're not drugs. Is that correct?
1: Conspiracy shows not far off because these are all foods and they're published in the medical literature and they're not sitting there side by side for this lady when she goes into the doctor. We should have all the drugs side by side with all the powerful natural cures. If she wouldn't have called who knows what happened.
2: But because stuck? because they're because you can't patent Chaga, I'm guessing, because it grows in nature. You can't patent it, and if you can't patent it, it's very difficult to profit from it, I'm guessing. I mean, if, if, as, far as, the, as far as the pharmaceuticals are concerned.
1: It's be a financial monopolistic thing, because as far as safety, these things I mentioned are entirely safe. Nobody's ever died from an overdose of bromelain papain. Nobody's, and it's got ginger in it. You know how good that is. I've not yet had anybody OD on chaga, you know, so... I. I don't understand it totally. Maybe somebody can explain it to me.
2: Well, that's yeah, that's an entirely different show, and we've done those shows, and we'll continue to do those shows. Uh, Cass Ingram, Doctor Cass Ingram is uh, with us as we discuss the cure is in the forest. He's a uh, doctor of natural uh, medicine. Received his B.S. in biology, chemistry. He knows his herbs. That's for sure, and uh, uh, as I say, I've been stomping around in the in the woods and the wilds all over the world in the Amazon, uh, the the Mediterranean. Uh, you, you talk about um, you know the the wild oregano, and um, wild oregano actually I think is is mentioned in the Old Testament. Didn't wasn't Moses you know singing the praises of wild oregano?
1: Moses was a big guy for that. He he warned his 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 his. A crowd to to make use of it, you know, with floods and different things. And uh, But David gave the biggest praise. He told everybody through his inspiration to purge yourself with hyssop. No, hyssop is Aesop. But what is Aesop? Aesop is Aesop. And that means wild oregano. It doesn't mean hyssop. So all that time, there was a scriptural order for the human race to save themselves from trouble. By, by finding out about the wild oregano, which is the most fantastic uh, purge of, of viruses, bacteria, mold, fungus, candida, and of course, I've always recommended the edible type because I like to use it every day. I, I mean, I must say, you know, my tour—I got a little bit of food poisoning uh, on the tour, and I came back and I blew it away with the uh, P73 under the tongue, about 20 drops every. Uh, I don't know, every few minutes until it killed the food poisoning. Oh, wow. <laughs>
2: um, Mary in Dayton, Ohio, thank you so much for the call. Uh, let's say hello to Anne, who is uh, in Aurora, Ontario tonight. Anne, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi, Anne. Anne in Aurora, are you there? Once, twice, three t- Let's put Anne on uh, hold, and uh, Tim, if you could try to reconnect with Anne and see if she's available. All right. Uh, so, Cass, this, again, back to the wild of oregano. I, I told you this uh, story when we met in the coffee shop a couple of days ago, and uh, this happened to my little guy, one of my twins. He woke up, this is about two years ago, uh, delirious with fever, and, of course, kids get those fevers that spike, and, of course, it, it, parents panic, and, it's it's you know, it happens. It's, it's somewhat natural, uh, not uncommon to see a temperature of, say, 104 in a little guy. Uh, but he's delirious. Scoop him up in my arms, and he's got that... That whooping cough sound, you know, it's just dreadful. So we took yeah. some of that uh, o- o- oregano oil, rubbed it up and down his spine, and then on the bottoms of his feet. And the next day, gone. Nothing. No trace of a cough. I don't know. A coincidence? I, I, hi- I find that hard to believe.
1: Well, do, you, do you realize how big that is? How many children like that that's got a little pertussis or maybe a fungus or something, and they end up with potent an, uh, antibiotics, and they get candida, they get thrush, and here you are bypassing all that, plus the rushing to the doctor and the panic and the pandemonium and the Tylenol, which isn't, is not a good idea, uh, and, and you bypass the whole thing by rubbing something on him? I, <laughs> I know it's that good because I published on this. I mean, here, if you got a sick kid, you know you're going to the doctor and all that, doing your thing, but rub it on the feet where the biggest pores are, but also rub it on the shin.
2: On the shin, ah, okay. Yep,
1: because the shin's where the little teeny lymphatics attach, and it's thin there, and you can get it, you rub it good until you, you know, you feel a friction and some heat. And like you said, on the spine, on the chest... I can tell you that the oregano oil gets into the lymphatics beautifully. and, and I, In fact, I had a guy who had uh, you know lymphedema, big, huge leg on one side, other leg normal. Well, he'd been in the tropics, always take a history, ask people questions. We don't ask questions anymore. How are you going to find out unless you talk to people? So, well, yes, he was barefoot down there in the Caribbean. He got the filarial worm, and I had him scrub that thing with that super strength oil of oregano until – he cooked that all out, and his his leg went to normal. Mm. So it's, it's great topical. There's no question about it. I love that. You know, like if somebody's too sick. Well, remember that Walkerton thing? Yes. I was asked. I didn't ask to go. They asked me to come up to speak at the uh, American Legion.
2: This was the contaminated uh, water up here in, uh, uh, in Ontario, and a uh, horrible, horrible tragedy.
1: Uh, Very bad. And... Uh, Four thousand people knocked down. So, so I I asked everybody in the audience. I, I had about maybe a tenth of the town there. I said, how many of you have listened to me on the radio and you regularly use the the oregano and you use the vinegar and honey? I've been telling you. And and I they, I said, keep your hands up. How many of you with the hands up that got the diarrhea? Honest to God, almost every hand, if not every hand, stayed up. They had protected themselves because they were taking this rev- regularly. And, and so they held me there. I had to get back, but they held me. And then they sent me to the hospital. And the doctor said, we're not interested in anything you have to say, so forget it. And, and the mothers then panicked and said, well, then what can we do for our children? Some of them are comatose. I said, smuggle in the oregano oil. And they did. There was a 15-year-old who was comatose with E. coli sepsis. You know, it knocked out his kidneys. And, and they scrubbed him real good. And then about an hour later, he starts wiggling around. About two hours later, he pops up half, you know, in his bed. And three hours later, he says, Mom, can I go home now?
2: Dr. Cass, hold on. We'll uh, take a break. Come back, get to some more phone calls. Dr. Cass, Ingram, the cure is in the forest. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740.
2: And welcome back. Uh, Natural cures for high blood pressure, natural cures for diabetes, natural cures for health disasters, for killer germs, uh, nutrition tests for better health, on and on it goes. Dr. Cass Ingram is uh, with us. He's a nutritional physician And uh, loves to stomp around in the woods and find cures in the forest. And of course, when we say the word cure, we have to be uh, we have to be careful. The uh, I know the uh, the ears are ringing over there at the uh, College of uh, Surgeons and Physicians. So as always, we offer the caveat: uh, consult your physician and the opinions of my guests and yours truly yes, do not yes. necessarily represent uh, the opinions of Zoomer Media. However, blarty blart <laughs> Dr. Yeah, Cass, yeah, uh <laughs> okay, so the the the, the wild oregano, uh, I want to pursue that in but I want to get back to the calls because people are uh, yeah. ringing the phones here and uh okay. Ann in Aurora, Ontario has uh, joined us again. Ann, you had a question for Dr. Cass.
3: Yes, I have. I hope I don't lose you this time. Um, I'm very concerned about the fluoride in our water. Yes. Um, first of all, I have rheumatoid arthritis, I have uh, osteoporosis, I'm hypothyroid, um, I've got fractured lumbar disc, all kinds of things, and I, I, I do believe that the um, fluoride has some bearing on, on a lot of that. Is there any way that I can detox with uh, herbs or whatever?
1: Yes, definitely uh... what a shame though with the fluoride and i guess try your best to get the highest grade bottled mineral water that you can meanwhile you gotta take this chaga black tea and these chaga drops i believe they're called chago power drops and and really work that in good a couple three cups of the tea the drops uh... twice a day additionally i would if i were you i would take the oil of oregano and if you can get a bit of this juice of oregano and hit that hard for the, you know, for the infestation that's causing this, you see? Uh, so if you could just do those things to start and then kind of keep in touch, maybe get the book and study it thoroughly. Because there's something in there about poplar buds. You'll see about poplar buds being an anti-arthritic case history. I had a woman whose hands were seized up from chemotherapy, seized big time, and she was an arthritic. I gave her this Poplar X stuff. I don't know how uh, common it is or whatever, but it. You're
2: it's talking the about the poplar tree, right? It's, it's, it's
1: the buds, exactly. From a poplar the, tree, the, the, okay. The, 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 uh, yeah, the buds, you pick them, then they're soaked and extracted, exactly. They're so sticky. They're highly, highly, highly anti inflammatory. So you might try that too. But right. that lady with the seized hands, it all went away. You see.
2: Remarkable. Anne in Aurora, thank you for the call. Giles is in Toronto. Giles, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Hi. Go
5: ahead.
6: Um, hi, hi, Mr. Sarrett. Hi, Doctor. Um, hi my, there. My brother has um, serious, serious joint pain. I've been uh, trying to teach him. Uh, he used to play a lot of soccer, and I got him to join away or join a leave. And it, and I mean, he's just. Uh, he, he doesn't like it because, I mean, he's, he's thinking, do I have to take this for the rest of my life? Is there anything else I can take? Do you have any uh, suggestions, sir?
1: He's got real serious joint pain. I tell you, you're not going to find anything better than that wild oregano, the edible, you know, high-strength form, and the chaga. Uh, you know, just a simple thing to do. The chaga drops, and the chaga, I would say that black tea, if you can get it, now the, the
2: oil the, again is this uh, for the joints? Is w- are you recommending a topical that like, you rub it onto the joints or to put it In, under the internal tongue? Internal
1: and topical. Is where is his problem mostly, Mister?
2: Sorry, Giles. Uh, go ahead. Where is where is your uh, your brother's problem?
1: I think his knees.
2: His knees mostly, and his um,
1: His thighs. Okay. And his thigh. Okay. okay. He scrubs those knees real good at night with that oregano. He takes the chaga. He also should take some extra magnesium if it's knee. A lot of times, knee, if he's athletic, is magnesium deficiency. Uh, another thing you could do, it's been helping quite a few people, is the Oregamax Max capsules because that's got a lot of trace mineral in it. It's more of a whole food type of oregano.
2: All right, Giles and Toronto, thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, sorry to, to, to cut you there. We've got a lot of people waiting. But the, yeah. what is it about uh, oregano? I mean, uh, it's y- white lightning. Yeah, but what's in it that... What is the active ingredient? Do we know?
1: Well, Carvacrol, you see. Carvacrol uh, in the oil, along with the various terpenes and long-chain alcohols, all healthy things. So the really good oregano is the kind that's from the spice. It's not the kind grown on a farm. There's a lot of that on the market now that they distill into oil. It's actually the wild material growing on the rocks. And then they... It's, it grows on white rock. Its flower is white. It's silvery sage in color. It's very potent material. And, but then, so you have the oil, and then you have this crude herb. And then you're gonna, with that one, you're going to have minerals, flavonoids. So it's kind of nice to combine them, the oil and the crude herb. Yeah.
2: Okay, I want to tell a story when we come back. When we're sitting in the coffee shop with your colleague, Dr. Judy Gray, and she's telling me about... This person that uh, has a snake farm. I guess he milks snakes. I'm not sure exactly, but uh, uh, had been bitten by by snakes and uh, applied some of this oregano. Anyway, we'll get to that story. Dr. Cass Ingram is with us. The cure is in the forest. Your calls as well. When The Conspiracy Show continues, stay with us.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
4: Where there's smoke... There's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740.
2: Dr. Cass Ingram is uh, with us. He's the health hunter. And um, we're talking about the cures that are found in the forest. Uh, our, you know, the great outdoors, the, the world's largest medicine cabinet. And uh, the aboriginals of of, uh, of the world know about these cures. Uh, these healing plants and herbs. You know, uh, I, I saw you again on on uh, this this footage in northern Manitoba, and uh, you, uh, I believe it was a was it a dogwood tree? The berries, you picked yeah. off those berries, and you and you said this is like aspirin. Yeah, How, tell me about these, headaches. Yeah, this dogwood berry
1: that's amazing and nobody knows to use it but the aboriginal people used it for head pain and and we and, and a botanist showed me the thing and and it's, it's very effective you just need a little bit uh, squeeze them under the tongue you know and it's just there's so much material in in in, in the uh, canadian woods and in the prairies we probably don't need to have anything else except the oregano and by the way Don't be confused by the farm raisers. About 15 imitation brands now on the market, so they're not effective, and they're not—you can't take them daily. So. Make sure if you're going to do oregano, get the P73, it's you know the blue and yellow stuff. Because it has labeled. to be from
2: the wild oregano, the stuff that grows in the mountains in Greece that my, my, the mighty Aphrodite's uh, Yaya, her grandmother, used to yeah. go and harvest and make tea out of. And
1: They and, made the tea, yeah. and the villagers still to this day, yeah, you want the kakik tea or you want the regular tea, you know,
2: which means <laughs> oregano. All right, let's say hello to Susie in Hamilton. Susie, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Go ahead.
6: Hi, Dr. Ingram. I've heard good that, um, I've heard, well, I've heard negative about um, wild
3: oregano with hepatitis C. What is your opinion on it?
1: Well, I I did a clinical study on not, there's no negative when you use spices. You know what I'm saying? So, like if you had a problem with your liver and you wanted to use turmeric or you wanted to use ginger or you wanted to use an onion or you wanted to use, um, what, uh, oregano, as long as it's the spice oregano, there's only positive. And when I did the clinical trial, is it you that has the hep C or somebody else? My sister. Your sister. When I did the the trial, uh, we took about 20 people. And the oregano oil, the P73, I mean the blue label stuff, we gave 200 drops a day uh, to these people. And uh, I'd say about 80% of them had a majorly positive response. Now, let me give you the, the most successful cases. We had one guy who had 30 million viral titer per centimeter of blood.
2: What does that mean?
1: Well, it's an incredible thing. In each centimeter of blood, the guy's got 30 million viruses living in there. Wow. That's a lot, huh? (laughs) I'd say. Uh, So so anyway, he took the 200 drops, plus he took the total body purge, the greens flush, I'll give you the whole protocol, and this healthy bacteria, or this one was called Health Back. He's got the healthy bacteria, he's got this greens flush, he's got the purge, he's got the oregano oil, 200 drops. He went from 30 million to zero in 30 days. The guy's belly was as big as a beach ball, it all came off. So we had some success cases like that, but the beauty is, overall there were no disasters, uh, nobody got into worse trouble and and that 's pretty impressive. these people were terminal potentially
2: well it 's amazing you know we, uh, how many people uh, I, I, I forget what the, the stats are quite alarming, uh, but the number of people that die every year from taking prescription drugs correctly correctly uh, you know and then you have uh, you have the sort of the medical establishment uh, warning us about natural supplements. How many people have ever died from eating blueberries or exactly. garlic or oregano? Uh, I got an email from a buddy who plays a lot of golf, uh, a lot of uh, softball in the summer and spring, and uh, he's in great shape uh, in his early 60s, sciatica it's a huge yeah. problem with with um, with people you know th- that age the people that yes. are active too what w- what is sciatica exactly and 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 uh, can oregano or chaga or birch bark or i don't know uh, nibbling on an elm tree do you tell me uh, tell me Cass. Uh,
1: you can obliterate that we just had a big cure uh, of a, with with wild turmeric see i like the wild plants that's why the wild oregano is not a problem but again for that little lady on the hepatitis as long as she's using this p73 blue Label, it's not an issue. Now, but anyway, wild turmeric, the product name is called Turmerol. That uh, just eliminates this thing.
2: Well, what is sciatic, quickly.
1: Well, it's an inflammation of the sciatic nerve due to either entrapment or infection by herpes viruses and other viruses or a bulging intervertebral disc, you see? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a big nerve that flows through the, uh, you know, through the buttocks and then down the center of the hamstring. But that's very painful condition. And and my three remedies are the super strength oregano oil, the turmeric, the wild turmeric extract, and these capsules called Inflamies I mentioned earlier. And, and also the chaga.
5: What's in I the? Told
1: inf- it, the chaga drops.
5: You okay.
2: Know. What's in the Inflammese?
1: It's got bromelain and papain from Thailand along with ginger and turmeric.
2: And what is bromelain? It's a capsule. Bromelain. Bromelain,
1: okay, bromelain. Bromelain is uh, from the green part of the pineapple. It's a digestive enzyme that's like a vegetable roto-rooter. And uh, anti-inflammatory. And then papain, you know, when you put laurie seasoning on, that's papain. It uh, digests, now it won't digest a live cell, but any kind of inflammation or dead tissue, it digests that. But... That's why I use these things. I, I don't talk even so much about ginseng or golden seal. though they're, they're great. Uh, I talk about things made out of a pineapple or a chaga, which is, you know, the S- Siberians eat put in their stew, or a uh, garlic or turmeric or oregano.
2: <laughs> there you go. Ellen is in Milton. Ellen, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How oh, are you?
3: Th- very good. Thank you. My problem is my son has Crohn's disease, and we just wondered what he could take to ease the pain, if not the cure.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Crohn's disease is a tuberculosis fungus of the intestinal canal. You can obliterate it with the wild oregano therapy. The poor guy, you could save that little fella. You have to, you know, with your doctor's care and all that, but... You have to get some of this p 73 oil under the tongue, the Oregamax, the juice. The juice is anti-tubercular. I talk about this in my books, the cure is in the cupboard, and I don't know, natural cures for killer germs, I guess. But, And then also, he must take the chalk. And finally, there's one more thing. That's, uh, there's a product that the doctors are using. It's called OregaResp. If you can remember that name, a couple of those twice a day, too, OregaResp. Uh, give that a go and make sure he gets some healthy bacteria. I hope you're recording all this.
2: <laughs> Ellen in Milton, Ontario, thank you for that. Uh, you know, uh, in Ontario, I don't know what the state of uh, the birch tree is elsewhere, but for a, a number of years ago, we had uh, some sort of a, a birch boar disease my father was a huge fan of the birch tree. He would plant clumps of birch trees all over the place uh It's kind of his legacy now that he's passed away. We have this beautiful clump of birch in our in my mother's front yard in Brantford, Ontario. A birch tree normally lives about twenty years. This clump is almost fifty years old and yes. uh but but you don't see a lot of birch anymore so w- w- you know if the birch goes, so goes the chaga right
1: Yes. well see the 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 issue is that the birch is the fast-growing tree, and they log it out because it's the best firewood, and they make toothpicks and silly things, but then it comes back. Uh, so we should be planting them in those areas where it's been eradicated. We should be aggressive with this. Right now, I'm, 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 I'm contracting, pushing every lumberjack in Canada and Minnesota to, when they cut these trees down, to, to chop the chagas off. In fact, I have a big meeting with all the big big players in the Midwest uh, to make sure that all the lumber people who are losing their shirts get to harvesting chagas not from fresh trees but from trees they're gonna cut down right That's right what we're primarily working on
2: okay now uh before the the last break i I, I teased this uh, so we're in the coffee shop there on uh, in Blur West Village here in Toronto and Dr. Judy Gray is telling me um, about this fellow that uh, owned a snake farm, I think, and he was bitten by a venomous snake.
4: Yeah.
2: And she, he called her and she said to, to rub on the wild of oregano onto his, onto his wound, and what happened to this guy?
1: Yeah, he, it shut it down. Now, he, he was in trouble because he'd been bitten two or three times that year, and she had him soaked that repeatedly because she had her sister almost lose her abdomen from a brown recluse and she she drove down to her sister's house and kept saturating this super strength into that wound giving it to her under the tongue and she shut he, the guy shut the he shut the thing down now keep in mind that this oregano is an antidote it's anti venom anti beasting anti mosquito it kills ticks if you saturate a cotton and push it on the tick long uh, so an, it's anti cough anti histaminic look if a person's got a peanut allergy they got to keep it in the, with them because if you got into something or if you get an anaphylaxis I almost died from an anaphylaxis and this stuff saved me
2: wow just, again we yeah caution people the, to consult their physician uh you know we're not necessarily wait. saying you know swap out your epipen for a, a you know a bottle of oregano but um, I mean why not you know have both but have so it with you now, the mighty Aphrodite uh, suddenly, out of nowhere, developed an allergy to shellfish, and she loved nothing she loved more than going to, you know, red lobster and having some uh, some Alaskan king crab. That's off the docket now. So uh, I'm not going to say, you know, hey, take some oregano and then you know uh, knock right. yourself out with the the crab. but uh, so if someone has an allergy and they have an a, uh, an allergic reaction, you're saying a couple of drops of this wild of <laughs> oregano <laughs> under the tongue will shut that down. How does that work, Cass? How does that happen?
1: It's that the carvacrol oxidizes the toxin. Carvacrol and the terpenes, they just go in there, they, they go right into the toxic chemical, and they shut that down. And that's been demonstrated in some scientific studies. Oregano is an interesting thing. That's why, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert in scripture, I'm an expert in oregano, but I do know that the Bible emphasizes only one medicine, and that's the oregano. The Quran emphasizes, I mean, there's many things in these books. Only one medicine has said, this is big. And that's the honey, the raw honey, which is also very, 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 very effective for a wide range of diseases.
2: Honey. Look, well, it's funny. Yeah. you know. I, uh, when I get a sore throat, I'll take a spoonful of, of honey. And what yeah. is it? And it does. It soothes the throat. It knocks it out. What is it's it? It's got about? hydrogen
1: peroxide in it.
2: Hydrogen peroxide.
1: Yeah, and it's got uh, it's an unknown antibiotic. They know it's there, but they don't know what it is that the bee makes. And, and it's hydroscopic. You know, it sucks the water out of the bacteria and the viruses. So the best thing you could ever do for diarrhea, which goes back to actually the Prophet Muhammad was kind enough to tell us this, the absolute best of all is honey. If you have the diarrhea and you could, if you could get some raw honey, some, you know, real, true, unheated honey, if you eat enough of it, you'll kill the diarrhea every time
2: yeah and i uh true or false I've heard if you get the if the local honey from from where you live if you get the local unpasteurized honey that also will alleviate your seasonal allergies
1: allergy yeah yeah so for you know there's a cure for every disease in the nature we just have to match the cure with the disease
2: well, and uh we've got to preserve the forests obviously because as I say that's the medicine cabinet.
1: We do. We should be all working towards these non-forest products and leave the forest alone with some selective harvesting and stop this massive clear-cutting. There's a lot more power in the bark, in the mushrooms, in the berries, in the roots than there is in the pulp.
2: Where are you off to next with your uh, your uh, your pail and your machete, uh, Dr. Cass? Uh,
1: yeah, I'm meeting with a whole group of students and professors to to go into the field with a documentary on on conservational chaga, chaga harvesting. It's a depressed area. The lumber guys are almost out of business. We're going to bring them all in. We're going to get them some money for the chagas and we're going to just take it from the areas that they're going to take out the trees. It's a very fascinating project and and that's what we're doing next. Meanwhile, I know in Canada I saw the product all over in the Healthy Planet, Nature stores. and the Mon stores, You have to give them give them a good goose to make sure they get what you need. But those two chains I know, and you know other players like Bulk Food Warehouse and in Hamilton. But there are all kinds of places. You so you just
2: go and you ask for chaga tea, or what chaga uh, in a concentrated form, capsules, or
1: if you're going to go do Chaga, you're going to ask for the Chago Power Drops, which are the emulsified drops. I was mentioning specifically those. And this, I like the Chaga Black or this regular Chaga tea. It's all pulverized. You want the micro-pulverized, finely pulverized in a tub. And there's also capsules. I, I, I pound okay. the capsules when I travel. They're, they're- all
2: right. Pound those capsules, Cass, and we'll talk again soon. Always a pleasure, my friend. I'm- Dr. Cass Ingram. All right. You can check out what's coming up on The Conspiracy Show,
0: www.richardserrett.com. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
2: Had a great time uh, on Friday night out at uh, Trinity St. Paul United Church in uh, Toronto, Bloor Street and uh, Spadina and uh, was fortunate enough, privileged, to host an event. Uh, it was a presentation of our good friends at Conspiracy Culture, and it was uh, the legendary heavyweight uh, G. Edward Griffin uh, speaking about the United Nations and the New World Order, and I had a good crowd, and it was great to meet uh, many of you uh, who who listening to the show, and I appreciate you coming out and uh, to hear Edward and to support uh, him and, and Conspiracy Culture and uh, to support this program uh, so Steve and Brian and Neil and, uh, um, uh, and others, Mur- Murray uh, in Thornhill, good to hear from uh, all of you. And see you all and uh, meet you in person, put a, put a face to the voice. And uh, also, it was uh, a pleasure to see my good friend Victor Vigiani uh, out at that event. And uh, he drops by and darkens the doorway here from time to time. And uh, good to have you
5: back on the program tonight, Victor. Well, I must say that Friday night was a very, very special evening. It just struck me as one of the most powerful presentations that I've ever witnessed. Um, The man uh, was, uh, Mr. Griffin, was as powerful a speaker at 81 years old?
2: Yes, yes. And we know him, of course, from, uh, normally we hear him talking about uh, the Federal Reserve, of course, Mm -hmm. that, that seminal work. Uh, the creature from Jekyll Island, a second look at the Federal Reserve System, and then uh, his other huge uh, magnum opus was um, World Without Cancer, uh, mm-hmm. talking about uh, B-17 and and and, and, and very controversial, uh, a lot of uh, conflicting uh, information out there about uh, whether or not mm-hmm. uh, B-17 can can cure cancer. However... Uh, he had that audience, uh, ca- you know, they were captivated, and, uh, my, myself included, and I know you were as well. Uh, but, uh, Victor, you've been very busy. You've been uh, speaking to uh, to small groups as well, out and about in, in libraries and, and uh, places like Port Credit and um, west of Toronto, uh, talking about sort of your bailiwick, which is UFOs, extraterrestrials, the evidence uh, that... Uh, um, Extraterrestrial civilizations are interacting with us, and the government knows about it, and they're not telling us. And what what sort of reaction are you getting from these these small local groups that come to hear you speak about this topic?
5: Well, actually, the the last three presentations, actually four presentations that I've done, uh, Richard, um, the, the the first couple have been frequented by about thirty five to forty people at these small libraries, Port Credit, and Lauren Park. And um, the reaction that I'm getting from a lot of the the attendees is, my goodness, this cannot possibly be true, Victor. Uh, What you're telling us is um, something, you you know, are you fabricating this information? Uh, And what I try to present is the evidence, and I try not to convince anyone about it. I'm not trying to say this is the way it is. I try to put forward the documentation, you know, from a, a number of different sources and what I get from a number of different um, entities within the audience, I'm talking high school students from you know, uh, Port Credit Secondary School to senior citizens and business people that are coming. And they're saying, my goodness, we've never been um, uh, associated with this information before. Uh, and, and how can we get more? How can we find out more about what's going on with this whole issue? Right. When you show them, I mean, you, you mm-hmm. have a very powerful...
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, PowerPoint presentation, right. just chock full of information. You're talking. Uh, we're talking about classified documents, government documents, which show uh, that various agencies within the U.S. Canadian government are concerned about extra, or UFOs. Uh, they've they've tracked them. In some cases, they've engaged them with fighter aircraft. Mm-hmm. And yet, the official word from government is they don't exist. We don't know anything. Uh, and and uh, I mean, when, when you when they see these documents. This is this is a paper trail. This is if there was a court case. I mean, these these would be you know entered in as Exhibit A, Exhibit B. You know, you put forward a very compelling case that the government knows about UFOs. How do people react? Are they they must be gobsmacked?
5: Well, they are. They're they're um, they're really surprised. Uh, uh, they're, they're, they're head, they're, they they shake their heads and say, "My goodness, this cannot be true." The last presentation that I, that I did um, in, um, in Port Credit, there were several um, individuals um, who, who just sat there and said, this cannot be true. How can our government and our media be lying to us or, or misrepresenting this information in the way that we are or the, the way the media is doing? Um, and uh, I guess the whole idea is that we're presented with a different reality here. You know, on a day-to-day basis, we hear about, you know, the floods, the storms, the, you know, the political situation, uh, the financial situation. But we'll never hear about the information regarding the fact that pilots, air traffic controllers, military people at the highest possible levels are engaging extraterrestrial craft on a day-to-day basis. And this perplexes a lot of people. And I try to put this information forward in a logical and a non-spectacular uh, sensationalistic way. So you don't need to sensationalize it. It's pretty sensational. It, that's right. Well, it, you, you, yeah.
2: you're right. People don't – unless it's 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 flashed across the front page of the Toronto Star, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, for people, it doesn't exist. And our next guest actually has, uh, has connected the dots as to why – the mainstream media doesn't pay attention. They might give it, uh, you know, a, a sort of a, a tongue-in-cheek treatment on page six, or if it's, even, if it's too big to ignore, if, let's say, for example, the sixth man to walk on the moon, Edgar Mitchell, says, yes, UFOs are real, I've seen them and so forth, uh, I've been told by top people at NASA that we are engaging extraterrestrial civilizations, it'll get a day's coverage And then it'll disappear. It just goes off the radar. Well, our next guest, as I say, is going to address that. Uh, He um, really connects the dots. In his new book, Missing Times, he explains how and why major news organizations have worked covertly with the U.S. government to manage public opinion about national security issues, like UFOs, for nearly a century, but especially since World War II when journalists and spies, he says, became best of friends. Today there may be little difference between major news organizations and the U.S. military intelligence establishment when it comes to national security issues. Terry Hansen is a former technical magazine editor. He's followed the UFO controversy for much of his life and has occasionally written about it for various media, including National Public Radio and the Minneapolis Star and Tribune. He's also spoken before various groups about UFO-related censorship and propaganda. In addition, he's organized and moderated two symposiums about the science and politics of UFO research for the Science Museum of Minnesota in St. Paul, one of the nation's largest science museums, Hansen holds a bachelor's degree in biology and a master's degree in science journalism, both from the University of Minnesota. He was a founding partner of KFH, sorry, K, KFH Publications Inc., a Seattle computer magazine publishing company. He's a licensed private pilot with ratings for single-engine aircraft and gliders, and skipper of the uh, converted diesel-powered wooden fishing trawler New Rosa. He lives in the Canadian Gulf Islands with his wife, Jess, and it's a great pleasure to have Terry Hansen here on The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Terry. How are you?
6: Hello, Victor. Good to be with you.
2: Uh, it's Richard here. Victor joins me in studio as well.
6: Okay. Sorry, Richard. No
2: worries. My, my mother says uh, she can't tell us apart on the radio. We sounded too, uh, very similar. You do sound
5: similar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that can't be true. He's, he's got a much better voice than I do. Ah. Anyways, welcome, welcome, my goodness.
2: Uh, Terry, you, you talk about this, um, uh, you know, after this, as an example... We had this major uh, wave of UFO sightings back in the early 50s. And it was at that time, you say, that these alphabet intelligence groups like the CIA finally decided they needed a system in place sort of to manage the information stream that was coming out in light of all of these sightings. Tell us a little bit about that.
6: Okay, well, I think it's probably a good idea to back up a little bit uh, further in history before the 1950s, um, you you may be aware that in the early 20th century there was a gentleman named Charles Fort, and he wrote a series of popular books uh, which were comprised of cases that he had dredged out of the scientific literature and ship's logs and so on that uh, pointed out there were some pretty odd things being seen in the atmosphere. Uh, Many of those were very similar to what we today call UFOs, but that term hadn't come into into use at that time. So uh, those books kind of made a big splash in, in popular culture for a while. They were quite popular, and then the subject kind of disappeared uh, and didn't re- really reemerge until uh, after World War II. But uh, we know that um, there was probably quite a bit going on in World War II that the public wasn't told about because... Uh, at least in the United States, there was a law called the War Powers Act, which gave the government the ability to control all the media during wartime. So they had a very extensive censorship apparatus, and uh, they put out a lot of propaganda to cover up uh, different things they didn't want the public to know about. So the public was really in the dark about what was happening in World War II, and I think there was there, there's undoubtedly... Uh, we know now that uh there's quite a bit of u f o activity going on during World War two, but it didn't surface in the in the public arena because the press was so tightly controlled by the military uh after the War Powers Act expired at the end of the war uh the The media were suddenly free to uh begin reporting openly what was going on and so I think it was at that point that all these u f o or flying saucer stories kind of exploded into newspapers across the, the continent um, and um, it wasn't until uh... the cia was created by the national security act of nineteen forty seven that uh... they the government had a way of uh... dealing with these reports uh... the cia a lot of people believe the cia is just an intelligence gathering organization but if you go back and Look at their charter and, and look at why they were created. Uh, one of the reasons was that they, the government uh, needed a way to censor and control the news and create propaganda, and that task was handled or was given to the CIA after uh, after World War II. So um, the CIA really began taking a more active interest in the UFO phenomenon at that point, and uh, you know when there were a few uh major episodes of UFO activity particularly in 1952 when UFOs were spotted over Washington DC and so on created quite an uproar uh the CIA got involved and well they they recommended basically that the topic uh, be uh basically debunked or ridiculed and and uh, they would try to uh, eliminate uh UFO and flying saucer reports from the media so that's kind of uh Uh, when they became involved in in a very overt way. And, of course, the Air Force played a big role as well, but not in a more open...
2: uh... And naval intelligence, I'm guessing. Listen, Terry, we'll take a time out when we come back. Let's drill down on this topic. How the CIA uh, co-opted the media, uh, perhaps to this very day, in its handling of the UFO issue. You know, why don't we see serious reportage on this very important topic. I'm not sure exactly what's going on up there, uh, but we need to find out, and we need some serious uh, journalism. And why aren't we getting it? Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network and Terry Hansen, The Missing Times. Back with more.
0: Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
4: Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Terry Hansen is with us. The Missing Times, news media
2: complicity in the UFO cover-up. And Victor Vigiani from Zeland News Network is with us. Let me give you an example of what we're talking about here when we talk about news media complicity in the UFO cover-up. And again, going back to uh, Terry Hansen's The Missing Times. When UFOs appear, national news agencies seem to fall silent. In late 1975, newspapers across the state of Montana reported dramatic sightings of unidentified flying objects. The UFOs displayed particular interest in the nuclear-tipped intercontinental ballistic missiles deployed around Great, Hall, Great Falls, of course, home of Maelstrom uh, Air Force Base. Although these mysterious sightings continued for months and were widely reported and discussed regionally, they were ignored. By national level news organizations. Why? Why, Terry Hansen?
6: Well, um, I, I argue in my book that it really has to do with national security, that uh, certain topics are, uh, you know, just more easily dealt with by the government if the public doesn't know what's going on. And uh, in this particular case, uh, the, the Malmstrom Air Force uh, ICBM flyovers. We know from uh, people who worked worked for the Air Force um, as missile uh, control personnel and, and also maintenance personnel that during the 19, mid-1960s and again during the mid-1970s, there were quite a few overflights of our ICBM, the U.S. ICBM complexes in Montana and elsewhere by UFOs. And in some cases, the UFOs actually shut down uh, entire wings of ICBMs. Um, how they did this, nobody really knows, but um, the UFOs would appear and uh, the security guards would report their presence and then shortly thereafter the missiles would start going offline. This is rather remarkable because all the missiles were really independent systems and um, there was no no way to explain how all these different systems, which were separate, uh, would be affected by some uh, single uh, source of interference, so there was a big to do over this, and I think uh, if you think about it for a few minutes you 'll realize that this is not something that the military wants the public to know about, but uh, how do, do they, they silence our,
2: no, but how do they silence the national news media they 've got then to have uh, editors at major newspapers, uh, assignment editors, uh, executive producers at major networks on site
6: well, I think it 's really a multi level process. Um, one of the ways that news organizations find out about what's going on in the world traditionally has been the wire services. And uh, we think of, you know, Reuters and UPI and AP and, and the New York Times news services. Now, um, if you go back and study the, the history of censorship, going back really to World War One and even earlier, the wire services have always worked very closely with the military uh, during wartime and, and other national security situations, so if you control the wire services, um, that's a, you know that's about 90% of the battle right there. Because if you if you can prevent a story from going out over the wires, uh, no, most newspapers and news organizations around the world don't really know what's happening. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, the local reporters in Montana, for example did pick up on the story and they wrote quite a few stories about this ufo activity and it was pretty widely known in the montana area among the the grassroots that this uh... this phenomenon was taking place i mean people were seeing them and uh, it was pretty much common knowledge but the story just sort of seemed to be bottled up right in the montana area now there's other ways of kind of uh... tricking the public into thinking nothing is going on um and one is that uh, the story really didn't appear outside of montana as far as i'm aware until it showed up in the the national Enquirer newspaper now most people know the national Enquirer. think of the national Enquirer as being a kind of a questionable source of information if you read a story there you know the tendency of a lot of people in the intelligentsia is to just sort of dismiss it and and laugh it off.
2: Yeah, they're all about I Married Bigfoot and Elvis uh, seen flipping burgers in Kalamazoo.
6: Yeah, exactly. But what what most people don't know about the National Enquirer is that it was started by a gentleman named Gene Pope, who um, had worked in the CIA's Psychological Warfare Division before he uh, started the. Or he actually bought a newspaper from the Hearst chain and using money that. Uh, Really, we don't know where, the, where where his money came from, but he had a lot of money in his pocket suddenly after he left the CIA, and he bought this newspaper and turned it into the National Enquirer. So, uh, as I argue in in the book, um, it it looks very very much like the National Enquirer was a kind of psychological warfare device by playing up the um, the UFO topic in the in the disreputable newspapers like the tabloids. And then ensuring that the story gets played down in the in the big city papers like the New York Times and so on, uh, it could it puts kind of a psychological spin on the whole topic. People think, well only only people of questionable mental capacity believe in these these stories. you know the New York Times isn't reporting it, or the the Toronto newspapers aren't reporting it or whatever, so therefore there can't be anything to it. But what they don't know is that behind the scenes. Uh, The CIA is using its contacts with the media to uh, discourage them from reporting the story.
5: Okay, Victor Vigiani, over to you. Yeah, actually, Terry, what I want to do is, in, in one of the chapters of your book, you mentioned. Um, a one of a story that was told to you about someone who was waiting at a train station, waiting for a train, and um, the the officials at the train station said, "Well, uh, you know, the the train has arrived according to our schedule." But the person standing on the on on the uh, on the podium said, "Well, the train's not here in front of me. I can't see the train. The train hasn't arrived yet, but the schedule says that it has arrived." And the people, the officials at the uh, you know the, who who run the train station, well, the train is here. And regardless of the fact that the the train is there or not there, they stick to the to the, to the story. The train is not there, but the officials say the train is there. Sure. And we are uh, there's the metaphor right there. And the the media seems to be saying, the train is here, but we're not seeing the train. Um, can you follow up on that metaphor for us? Yeah.
6: Okay. Well, I think you know if you really study the way the UFO topic is reported by the media, uh, what you find out is that there's kind of two world views represented by the media. One is the world view of, you know, the small town newspapers and local reporters, which is, you know, closer to what people actually experience. And then you have the the big city newspapers, the East Coast uh, establishment uh, media, that uh is very close to the you know the power centers washington d c and so on, and they tend to give you a world view that is uh shaped by uh the power elite you know the the the, um, the Pentagon and the white house and so on so you have these kind of two two points of view official reality i call it and and folk reality and actually folk reality is is quite uh, a bit closer to what 's actually happening but you know we if you if you get most of your news from the big corporate uh news organizations you just get the official story and that's very you know very uh kind of carefully tailored to present a certain point of view um, if you study the way propaganda works, it's really kind of a two step process there's the first step is censorship which uh prevents you from knowing what's actually happening and once that's been achieved then the propaganda is pumped out by a, you know, a thousand different uh, outlets to create what they call a, a pseudo-environment or a false picture of what is actually taking place. So you can kind of see this happening in the case of the Malmstrom sightings, even though the story received quite a lot of coverage locally and, you know, by small-town newspaper reporters. The big uh, national papers don't want to deviate from the official story, and so they, they just don't report it. Or they give you, uh, you know, the Air Force's point of view and that that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. that's what's going on there.
5: Well, uh, the the other point that I want to try to get to is the the whole Woodward and Bernstein kind of um, approach to bringing forward uh, a message that will completely distort or disturb the the national consciousness, uh, the way they did it in the Watergate affair. Um, it, 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 I refer to it as, as the glass ceiling and what is it in your mind and, and in your analysis that stops these kinds of stories about the UFO reality from piercing through the this glass ceiling about the reality that we all know that the military are you know are totally in touch with the fact that you know the jets are scrambled to chase these things and we've got government documents coming out of our yin yang about the fact that these things are being uh, you know seen in our atmosphere what stops these, uh, you know, brilliant journalists from saying, you know, listen, I'm going to come forward. I'm going to talk about this. How does this happen? How do these journalists become muzzled about the the true reality of what's really going on?
6: Well, um, it, you know, it's a. <clears throat> there's no one single answer to that. It's really a variety of things that are going on. For one, one example is that many journalists, although, you know, they appear to be independent of the government are sometimes working for the intelligence communities under in deep cover within news organizations. So although they pretend to be journalists, they're actually their job is actually to prevent the news from from going out. Um, another thing is that the many of the people who own the media, the, the you know the um, CEOs and uh top top level editors uh have agreements with the intelligence community not to cover certain types of stories or to cover them in a certain way um so there's a whole long list of of methods by which the uh the you know the the military and the intelligence community can exert influence over what gets reported and and what doesn't get reported a lot of times if you're a reporter and you uh you take an interest in something let's say um uh, 911 mm-hmm. uh if you you start doing stories about the the liquid metal that was found in the in the basement of all the 911 buildings what you'll run into is that the editors will suddenly you know your higher level editors will say well we're just not going to report that story or our readers aren't interested in that or this is a conspiracy uh theory you know we don't we don't deal in conspiracy theories so you know you just get shut down right away <laughs> And I think it's the same way with a lot of UFO coverage. If something uh, sensational is happening and you find out about it and you go go try to uh, write the story, you often find it's very difficult to get it published. And uh, Leslie Kane, uh, who wrote a, a very good book recently about uh, government officials who have had UFO experiences, uh, talked quite a bit about her attempts to Uh, write about different, different UFO related topics and she found that she just couldn't get past the editors in most cases and the big city papers wouldn't wouldn't touch the topic. Yeah, yep. well, her,
5: her book went uh, number twenty-nine on the New York uh, bestsellers list. I mean, UFOs, generals, and 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 pilots come forward on the, on the record. I mean, you can't get much closer than that. But the fact that her book, as as beautifully written as it was, really never got to any major journalistic entity that could say, "Listen, this lady's got something here. Let's look at it." How, how would be? Uh, you know, how, how could be you know, CBS, NBC, ABC, how can those three major entities in the media you know, consortium, how could they be totally shut down in their coverage of this? How does that work?
6: Well, let me give you an example. Um, in the 1960s, there was an intense amount of UFO activity across the U.S., as you probably know. And, well, of course, a lot of this was happening around the ICBM sites and other military bases. And um, it was pretty well known. I mean, it was well widely covered through through newspapers around the country. But um, at that time, uh, the CBS television network broadcast a program called UFO's Friend, Foe, or Fantasy. Mm-hmm. And it was a very prominently placed uh, documentary carried by CBS television in which um, uh, Walter Cronkite basically threw cold water on the whole UFO topic. He said, you know, well, it's really just cases of mistaken identity and so on and so forth. There really wasn't anything to it. So, don't worry about it. It's all just kind of a, you know, a, a myth that's gotten out of control. Well, of course, uh most people watching television at that time were rather naive about the the way things work in the real world and they They had no suspicion that there was anything more to that than just a straightforward reporting job. But um, some time ago, a researcher discovered in the archives of the Smithsonian Institution a letter by Dr. Thornton Page in which he confessed to another CIA colleague that he had played an important role in shaping the content of this CBS program along the lines of what the CIA's Robertson panel Mm -hmm. uh, recommended.
2: Terry, let me just uh, get you to hold on there. We'll uh, come back and continue to discuss the CIA and the media and its handling of the UFO issue. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network in studio. Terry Hansen
0: on the line. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
4: This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. When it comes
2: to uh, UFOs and uh, the mass media uh, and the the cover-up, I suppose, it's, it's, um, it's important to understand the level of... Penetration of the media by intelligence groups. And I think uh, uh, Terry Hansen, uh, author of The Missing Times, has made this point, and, and uh, Carl Bernstein really sort of brought it to our attention in that famous Rolling Stone article back in 1977 when he talked about, um, about this very thing. And I, uh, You go back to the early 1950s and, and Joseph Alsop, who was the biggest syndicated columnist in the U.S., and he was sent... Um, he was sent to the Philippines to cover the, the election there, but he wasn't—he wasn't sent uh, by his syndicate, his column uh, syndicate. He was sent there at the request of the CIA, and and the history of the CIA's involvement with the American press continues uh, to be shrouded by an official policy of obfuscation and deception. And um, I guess this use of journalists—I mean, what, to what extent is this use of journalists? Uh, still prevalent by the CIA. I know, I know it was suggested by Bernstein that, that around the early mid-70s uh, that this, the, the, the CIA really cut back sharply on the use of reporters because of pressure from the media. But, but to what extent is this still pr- prevalent today, do you believe, that the CIA is really pulling the strings in, in, in major news outlets, in particular with the UFO issue?
6: Well, I'm very skeptical that anything changed radically after the uh, church committee hearings in the 70s and and the uh, uh, exposure by Bernstein and some other uh, writers about this uh, intelligence community connection. Um, And I think really if you look uh, critically at the way a lot of current issues are being reported today, particularly the Iraq war and some of the other wars the U.S. is involved in, and the events of 9-11, I think you're struck by how little actual critical reporting gets done about those topics. We hear really very little uh, reliable information other than that which comes from the, the Pentagon and uh, the, the official government point of view, so to speak. Uh, so I think that really is a an indication that very little has changed. And uh, also, I, I've cited this in some of the talks I've given that during the Bush, uh, Bush Jr., Bush II uh, administration, um, uh, they put uh, propaganda experts in charge of uh, National Public Radio and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting so that uh, really it doesn't give you a lot of confidence in the impartiality of, of those organizations when it comes to reporting. So I think it goes on pretty much as as it always has, and it actually may be much worse today than it was in the 1970s. Um, you know, often the intelligence community will will claim that they've backed away from certain policies, but then quietly they go back to doing things the way they've been doing it for over a hundred years. So that,
2: that, that would be my suspicion that it's worse than ever. I mean, how else to explain how essentially uh, we've seen the the, the 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 disappearance of of investigative investigative reporting, and it's uh, anyone who attempts to do... If Bernstein and Woodward were to try to uncover Watergate today, they would be laughed out of the newsroom and called conspiracy theorists. Victor, go ahead.
5: Yeah, actually, Terry, what I want to do is is, is sort of take us to the more current... Um, feeling about all of this, and uh, with the Obama administration, and even with with Clinton, um, Clinton, I know made an effort to look at uh, lifting a bit of secrecy regarding other issues uh, within the administration. But I guess my question to you is that with all of the the blatantly overt information about this, the government documents, you know, the documentation that you've cited. Uh, the Robertson panel, the, the obvious, you know, influence of CIA. How can any presidential entity, you know, be it Obama with his, you know, uh, seeking of greater transparency? How can these people be kept away from this issue? Are there people saying, you know, Mr. President, no, you can't talk about this, or like, how does that work when, when, when a president says? I want more transparency in my administration, and we know this stuff is going on, the military knows. How is it that the the the, the 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 White House, for example, or the Pentagon or the NRO, or whatever it happens to be, can possibly stay away from addressing this issue and maintain that kind of silence? How does that happen?
6: Well, I think, you know, we just came through a a major political campaign, as you know, <laughs> and it was remarkable during the whole campaign how few of the real issues were were mm-hmm. ever addressed it was you know it was all kind of a, a mudslinging and and a very superficial um discussion of of world events but not really much uh much of substance politicians are remarkably skilled at sort of dancing around the issues and not not dealing with anything of real uh real substance so i think I'm not really convinced that either Clinton or um, Obama have any real desire to open things up. They're pretty much uh, cut from the same cloth as earlier presidents, and you know they're, you know, unless somebody asks them, and they very very rarely have a press conference in which which they get uh, nailed with any hard hitting questions anymore. They're pretty well shielded from that type of thing. Mm-hmm. They really have no no incentive to. Uh, to bring the subject up, or, or answer, answer any kind of pointed questions, really.
2: Excellent point. Yeah, I mean, uh, who can pull your who can pull your uh, your um, your press credentials? It's the Secret Service. You know, stand up and ask a, uh, an embarrassing or, or pointed question, and uh, you don't work the Washington Press Corps anymore. That's, you know, when these KGB agents came over to consult the, the White House on the inst- instituting the Patriot Act, they were amazed at how effective the U.S. has become in stifling dissent. They needed gulags in the Soviet Union. Here, uh, we just ostracize, ridicule, discredit. Back with Terry Hansen, The Missing Times, Victor Vigiani, Zeland News Network, as we discuss UFOs and the complicity of the mainstream news
0: media in the cover-up. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
2: Terry Hansen is with us, the author of The Missing Times. We're talking about uh, the mainstream media uh, and the UFO cover-up and its role in that cover-up and its, uh, how it was co-opted or is being co-opted by various intelligence groups. Victor Vigiani joins us in studio uh, from Zealand News Network, and uh, uh, Terry, you know, uh, from time to time, I'm asked to go on uh, uh, TV shows. I'm, 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 I guess I'm a bit of a curiosity, uh, and they, you know, th- th- because of the subject matter, and and uh, they're somewhat amused or bemused, and uh, they always ask me the same questions. And it's why do people continue to believe in this stuff? Or they're interested in the phenomena, not the content. Uh, and I always say because you. And uh, others like you have completely abandoned the playing field when it comes to, um, uh, r- you know, reporting on this stuff. And so, where do people go for their information? They go to the internet. Now, in- the word "internet" now has become synonymous with the word "conspiracy," which is, you know, ab- absolutely absurd. But w- how has the internet um, really uh, 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 affected public awareness in terms of the UFO topic?
6: well i think the internet on the whole has been a very good influence um, it's obviously a mixed bag i mean there's a lot of information that's not very trustworthy and quite questionable but at least the information is out there and you can you can do your own legwork and do a little cross-checking and you know see whether things hold up and, and have some substance i think you know the the parallels between the old soviet union and the u s right now are quite remarkable in that um, you know in the old Soviet Union there there was a very good book by um, Hedrick Smith, a New York Times reporter who uh, spent quite a lot of time covering the Soviet Union and he wrote a book called the Russians and he described the society as it was back before the collapse of the Soviet Union, where basically everyone didn 't trust the media they didn 't trust the government, they just naturally assumed that everything from an official source was probably wrong or a lie. And I think the U.S. has come around to being that type of situation as well, in that, you know, Americans uh, and probably most many Canadians are quite distrustful of what they're being told by the corporate media and what, what they get from the power political power centers. So uh, the Internet has kind of broken the embargo on a lot of different kinds of news that the government uh, doesn't prefer the public know about. So I think, uh, you know, generally it's been a good influence.
2: All right. Let's uh, take a call from Patrick, who's been very patient waiting on the line from Toronto. Patrick, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Hello. Hey, Patrick. Go ahead.
3: Hi. Uh, thanks for uh, having me, uh, Richard, and uh, hi to Terry. You guys have a great show. Thank you, uh, uh, Richard. Anyway, uh, Terry, yeah, I want to ask you um, <clears throat> how familiar you might be with um, these uh, living organisms uh, that have been uh, filmed. I believe, uh, using infrared technology, using two cameras, um, by Trevor James Constable, I believe. Um, he has uh, some documentaries called Invisible Realm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's regarding... Um, supposedly the sky is full of these... Uh, uh, they seem to be living organisms that are invisible to the naked eye. But uh, as of uh, some years ago, They've been um, they've begun to be uh, captured on camera.
2: So the suggestion here, I guess uh, Patrick would be that these, uh, these could be part of the, the UFO phenomena. These living these are not mechanical devices. these are actual biological entities that people are seeing sky. Exactly. Okay, I don't know if you're familiar with that, Terry. I am not, but uh, uh, Wayne, if you prefer, if you'd
6: like. Well, um, I am I am familiar with that idea. I haven't followed uh, what's, what's happened in recent years. Um, my interest is really more in the, the way the the media process, uh, UFO-type material. Uh, I don't really have an opinion on that particular theory about what um, the UFOs are, um, so uh, I can't really shed too much light on it, I'm afraid.
5: Let's let's sort of take off on that question, too. Um, There there have been a couple of really powerful journalists and and researchers over the past couple of years that have really brought forward some key issues uh, about the UFO phenomenon. One of them is Leslie Kane, and uh, I'd like to get your understanding of of how Leslie uh, has managed to Bring forward some really solid documentation uh, not of her own making uh, by the, uh, the the written work of, of uh, pilots and and generals and other military officials about the uFO issue and uh, how do you see leslie's uh, intrusion into the reality uh, of, of the of this issue within the, within the media
6: well it's very uh, revealing how the book has been handled i mean she she the book has done fairly well it's gotten a lot of attention but uh to a large extent the mainstream media has kind of turned a blind eye to it and as they have done for for many decades now so it's like you know in a, in a way it's she's done a great job writing that book and putting the facts out there but the impact in the media realm is relatively minor and i think we're we're sort of treading treading water sort of spinning our wheels here if you go back to the 1960s there was a journalist named John John Fuller and he wrote a number of uh very popular books and very well researched books about the UFO phenomenon the the first one i believe was incident at exeter and uh, i just reread this book it's a very very fascinating book because fuller went out and talked to witness after witness after witness uh people that were watching these UFOs maneuver over the high tension lines in in uh, the east coast areas and he he really nailed it down from a journalist's point of view that there was no question that this phenomenon was real. And he made a splash back then. There were still a few publications like uh, Look Magazine that would publish people like Fuller. But today there really aren't. Um, if you were to go to, say, the Atlantic Magazine or, or McLean, McLean's Magazine or something like that and propose to do a serious article about... The UFO topic they would just slam the door in your face they're, they really just don't want to hear about it. so I think you know the the whole uh, official reality worldview has been consolidated and, and nailed down and there's just not they're not allowing any, uh, any points of view other than the official point of view right now unfortunately
5: so if, if this is sort of um, you know, set in concrete you know if this is the position of the media that irrespective of the fact that these you know number of documented experiences it doesn 't matter what kind of of really relevant uh, sustainable information it doesn 't matter what kind other than you know the the old proverbial landing on the white house lawn uh, it, the media will not entertain any discussion or any discourse on this uh, I, t- to me as a as a as a as a journalist and one who you know tries to get to the bottom of this this is a a totally untenable situation and w- what perpetuates that mindset terry
6: well it's perpetuated by the the fact that most of the media are owned by a small handful of corporations that have a vested interest in cooperating with the government on a lot of uh, a lot of different issues you know some of the big media companies are owned by corporations that are in the business of of making armaments, so mm-hmm. you know they're, they're they they ha right away they have a um, a very strong financial incentive for backing any kind of military point of view you know that that the government puts forth so it's kind of become it's become uh the military industrial media complex and in, in a real sense, there's just this core group of corporations that control most of the information the American public gets. And, but, you know, like you say, at the same time, we have all this information on the Internet, and there's all kinds of excellent books being written, so the information is there for people who want to seek it out. But it's, you're not going to find it by watching the corporate uh, uh, you know, network channels and reading the big newspapers.
5: So you, you've been around this a long time, and, it's, and I followed your work for years. What do you think it's going to take for this to crack this to what I call the, the glass is there something that will crack this or or is it just well, a, is know, this a lost to, cause
6: to a large extent i think it is it is cracking because of the fact that we do have the internet now and that gets uh you know people get more and more of their information from the internet they're turning off their tvs uh if you look at the um the re, you know the, the viewership of say fox television and some of the big cable channels and broadcast TV channels, it's plummeting. You know, people have decided that they're just not getting what they need to know from these organizations, and they're switching it off. So I think there's a shift going on right now as we speak, where people are, you know, tuning in to uh, more legitimate, more reliable sources of information. So I think it's crumbling. It doesn't seem to be crumbling. It's, It's like you know, living in the Soviet Union before it all fell apart. I mean, mm-hmm. everything seemed to be going along fine. Everyone was shocked when the when the Berlin Wall came down and the system crashed. I think we're headed toward a situation like that where our principal institutions will one day just lose all credibility and, and uh, people will just stop listening to them and a new, a new uh, order will arise.
2: I agree with you. I, I think when it comes to the UFO issue and whatever it is, and I haven't formed a, a you know, a a definitive position on it myself. I mean, the phenomena is real, but the origin to me remains clouded. Uh, but that's, that's you know, that's an entirely other consideration. But we need to stop worrying about when the White House will announce that, you know, that they're going to investigate or we need to stop worrying about when the New York Times is going to cover this or when the Toronto Star, as you say, these institutions are crumbling away. We already have disclosure. We already, you know, as individuals who are... Who are uh, of following our own noses and doing our own investigating. We already know the phenomena is real. We don't need uh we don't need uh you know it to be sanctioned by the, the what we used to call the mainstream media. They're not mainstream anymore.
6: That's right. They're they're becoming a, a fringe media. You know, they they have these big corporate logos and all that but nobody nobody's paying attention. It's a bit like um you know back in the Vietnam War era there was a saying if the people lead, the leaders will follow. And I think that's the situation with UFOs when, you know, the the public will decide that this is a real phenomenon and, uh, you know, it's worth worth studying and they'll just take it and, and run with it and the government will just become less and less relevant.
2: Well, I think uh, you know we got a glimpse of that when uh, towards the end of his, uh, his career on CNN, Larry King started to pay particular attention to this. I don't know if it was Larry King or his producers that were insisting on this, but once Larry King went away, I haven't seen Pierce Morgan follow up with any of this, but uh, there was a, maybe a, a glimmer there. In any event, um, uh, Terry Hansen, The Missing Times, available to book buyers, and uh, the website uh, is themissingtimes.com.
6: Yes, that's right. And I wanted to point out also that I just recently republished the book as a Kindle e-book. So you can, you can buy it electronically for $2.99 now, which is a pretty good deal, I think.
2: All right. Instead of buying New York Times, get the book, get the Kindle version. <laughs> Terry, thank you for this. Victor Vigiani, Zealand News Network. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Great to be with you. Tim Spreen, good work behind the board. Back next week. With a brand new program, hope you'll be along for that ride. It always promises to be a wild one. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.